Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. As I was saying, this is what we do every Thursday night that we get together. We have a time of worship, and then we have a time we continue our worship by opening up the Word together. And this semester, we are going through the book of Philippians together. Going through the book of Philippians, we started last week with some context, and now we're getting into the true beginning of the content of the book. So go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 3. And I'm calling the message tonight, A Lot of Questions. That's the name of the message, A Lot of Questions. And it's called that because tonight you are going to be asking yourself a lot of self-evaluating questions. You're going to be asking questions that demand an answer. Questions that will help you see your life more clearly. And questions that will bring you clarity on where you are with your walk with Christ right now. And these questions are a response. These questions are a response to Paul's prayer and thanksgiving found at the beginning of Philippians. So you're looking there, Philippians chapter 1. If you're not there yet, go ahead and as you're turning there, let me just remind you of a few things we covered last week. Last week we found out that Paul, alongside Timothy, is writing this to a church that he helped plant. He planted this church and he's writing from some form of imprisonment. We think maybe he's writing from Rome, but Paul is imprisoned and he's writing from this imprisonment and he's... Not only writing to encourage and love the Philippians, but he's writing to give them some peace and writing to give them some peace about the fact that he's in prison and what that means for him and what that means for them as Christians in this early time being persecuted. And last week we covered all this in the context found in verses 1 and 2 there, if you're looking. Verses 1 and 2, that's where we got that introduction. Let's pick up now in verse 3. I'll read you follow along. Verse 3 to 11 says, I think... My God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So I told you... This message is called A Lot of Questions, and to help you better engage with the message, especially if you're one of those note takers and you're trying to lay them out and make sure you get everything categorized in your mind. If you're like me, you like to know how things are going to be laid out so you can best think of it, I'm going to sort of give you the layout, all right? The layout tonight is that there's going to be two main questions, two main questions in response to this passage, and then underneath each one of those questions... I'm just giving you like sub-questions to help answer the big one, okay? So the big question, and then I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of questions to ask yourself so you can finally come up with the answer to the main question. Hopefully that makes sense, but let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's get into it. This is the first main question, and what I think um, this text demands us to ask is, am I partnering in the gospel? Am I truly partnering in the gospel? 
I get the word partner from Paul's use of it in verse 5. If you're looking, you want to check my work, it's right there. Verse 5, he talks about how they are partners in the gospel with him. And his use of the word partaker in verse 7. Because these words are actually synonyms. Partner and partaker in the Greek, they're very similar. They're just conjugated differently. And they essentially mean one who shares in. One who abides in. One who takes alongside, one who partakes with. So what I'm asking you tonight is, are you truly someone who shares in the gospel with others? Are you truly someone who's a partner in the gospel? Are you authentic? Do you have the real thing? Or do you just look like it? And there are three types of people who I think should be concerned with this first question. Three types of people. And the first one is this. If you are a person who doesn't know Christ, like you are a person who does not walk with Jesus, you don't call him Lord, you haven't given your life over to him as the one who's paid the price for your sins, died that you might have life. Like if you're that type of person, then yes, you should be concerned at this question because you are not a partner of the gospel. You don't belong to the gospel and it doesn't belong in you. You don't get to experience the amazing joys of salvation and freedom. You don't get to experience the life that's had abundantly with Christ. You don't get to be called a child of God. You don't get to have your name written in the book of life. You don't get to experience the joy of worship. You don't get to experience the joy of fellowship, the joy of sanctification. You don't get to truly understand and know the purpose of your life, which is to enjoy God and glorify him. You don't get to partake in those things. You don't. So if you're that type of person, I want you to be concerned. I want you to be troubled. I want you to feel in your soul that something is not right. And that this thing I'm talking about, you've never partaken in. You've never become a partner in it. And because of that, you should be concerned. Because your soul lies in the balance. And if that's you, if I'm talking to any of you in this room tonight, come talk to me after the message. Let's change that. Let's let Jesus change that. Let's watch him work in your life in amazing ways. But for now, just sit, listen, and hear what we have to see in God's word. And just think that all those things can be yours and so much more if you were to give your life to Christ. Let's let him change that. So that's the first type of person that should be concerned. But the second type of person that should be concerned with this question, am I truly partnering with the gospel, is the faker. Right? The, the poser, the one who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. The one who wears the title Christian, claims Christ, walks into a church building, whether consistent or semi-consistent, you know, they're at least there a few times, or maybe they're there every week. They claim Christ, but yet they're not truly a partner in the gospel. They don't participate in all that the gospel calls of their life. They haven't let the gospel saturate their entire life. Like, in a room full of people that are drinking Coca-Cola... 
you're the one with the Diet Coke, right? Yeah, sure, like the, the flavor gets close to the real thing. It bears a similar name. It might come in a similar can, and if you hold it just right, maybe no one will notice that you're not drinking the real thing. And you're holding it because you want as close of a flavor as you can get to the real thing without paying the cost that comes with drinking the calories. You claim the gospel in Christianity because you like what it looks like in your life. You claim the gospel in Christianity because you like what it opens up for you, the opportunities that it has for friendship or feeling belonged here in this place. You maybe even just like that it makes you feel fuzzy inside and makes you happy. But really, you're just wanting to get as close to the gospel as possible without paying the cost. You just want to be in the same room as those that are drinking the real thing. But you don't want to pay the cost. And so you drink a fake of it. Something that's not the authentic, real flavor. If that's you, it's time to come clean. It's time to throw the Diet Coke in the trash can. All right? It's time to come for the real thing. It's time to see what this is all about. And don't just come tonight. Come every single week to see what God has in his word. Come on Sundays to see what God has in his word. Come worship alongside fellow believers. Come join a C group. Come participate in all of the community things that we have together. And see all that Jesus has to offer your life. And stop sipping on the fake thing. And start partaking in the real thing. Put it away. If that's you and you want to know how, what am I going to say? Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to get you connected to a leader and show you just how you can have that thing. So that's the second type of person in the room. Let's get into the third type of person in the room. And this is where I think many of us fall. Because the minute I started questioning if you're truly a partner of the gospel, you started questioning if you're truly a partner of the gospel. And you're doing it because you instantly begin thinking of the sins you committed this week. You instantly begin thinking of the ways in which you haven't loved Christ lately. The ways you haven't been participating in all that he has given us as, as Christians. You begin seeing all the ways in which you are trying to separate yourself from him. And I get that. Like conviction is good. Conviction is the Holy Spirit working in us to bring us to righteousness and away from sinfulness. Like, that's good. Never lose that, okay? Never lose that conviction. But on the flip side, for those of you that fall into that category, I actually want this message to give you some assurance. I want this message to give you some things you can ask to show that the Lord is working in your life, to show that you are growing in the gospel, to encourage you that, yes, there, though you stumble and though your heart may be prone to wander, that the Lord sustains you and causes you to persevere. And I want this to be one of those things that gives you that assurance. And if you're like that rare fourth person in the room that's like, I'm actually doing really great. Like, yes, I love this. Good. Write this down. Keep this as assurance for when you get into those times, right? So I've set that up, but I want to talk to each one of you and show what we're talking about. Now let's actually get more into the text as we go here and get with our first question. I told you we got this main question, am I truly partnering in the gospel? Now here's all these little questions you can ask that hopefully should be an assurance and help you answer the big question. The first one is, do I inspire joy? Do I inspire joy? And I get this from verses 3 to 5. Look at it there. It says, I think, this is Paul, I think 
my God, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So do you see what Paul is saying there? He's saying that their partnership in the gospel has caused him joy. Their partnership has inspired joy in him. And so I think it's a great question to ask ourselves when we are evaluating if we are truly partaking in the gospel, do I inspire joy in others? First, do I inspire joy in those who have discipled me, right? Just like the Philippians to Paul, like he discipled them and they're inspiring joy in him. Like whether it's your parents or your pastor or an older sibling or like a C group leader or me or, or, or someone else. If you're looking to evaluate, if you're truly participating in the gospel, if you're truly a partner of it, then you should feel no shame in asking those around you, do I inspire joy in your life? Like does my walk with Christ give you joy as you look upon him? If you know Christ in this room, you are here because someone preached it to you. You are here because somebody preached the gospel to you. Somebody that loved you enough to tell you the truth and give you an opportunity to respond. And I guarantee you that that same person that preached that gospel to you would love to hear how Christ is working in your life. It says in scripture, withhold no good information from those over you. Like share the good news with those around you. Ask if your life inspires joy in those who have discipled you. But don't let it just stop there. Like I want you to have a deep conversation with those around you. Like especially if they're in your C group or, or someone that you're in like deep discipleship with often. The next time you get into one of those deep conversations about spirituality and your life and your walk with Christ, just ask, hey, me knowing God, me walking with Christ, has that brought any joy in your life? Like, have you been inspired to do the same? Does my life reflect Christ enough that it causes more joy with Christ in your life? Now, I know what you're asking. You're asking, like, well, what if the answer is no? What if they tell me no? Well, there you go. You got one way the Lord is revealing in your life that you can give more over to him, that you can follow after him to a sense in which he creates joy in your life, that you can find joy as you find uh, time with him in his presence. It says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And if you want to talk more about that and how you can do it, what should you do? Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to help you in that. So guys, these are the type of questions that we need to be asking ourselves over and over. And these are the questions that should be prominent in our C groups. They should be prominent in deep conversations with one another. They're things that build up. They create open and honesty. But that's not the only thing we need to ask. So not only can you ask, do I inspire joy as a means of evaluation? But you can also ask this. Ask this of yourself. Do I persevere? Do I persevere? And I get this from verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like this interpretation is simple. If Christ 
has began a good work in you, if he has done that, if the gospel has been implanted into you and you are partnering it, then it is a guarantee, if that has truly happened, that the good work in you will be brought to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's at the end of days, Christ's return, when he comes in full glory. If you've been here on Sunday mornings, we're going through Revelation, you know what we're talking about. Like that day to come that every single person in all of existence will experience, whether they are dead now or alive now, every single soul that has ever been created, they are all going to get to experience the end of days in which Christ returns. And I'm asking... Do you see the workings of your life? Do you see a perseverance in your life that shows that that will be complete when he comes? That is heading towards completion. Heading towards when he comes and you are glorified alongside him. Like this is guaranteed in your life. And I want to show you what I mean. That all those in Christ will be glorified. That it will come to pass that it will be complete. This is from Romans 8. If you want to go study it later, Romans 8, 29 and 30. Talking about God and whom he calls and how he works in our lives. Romans 8, 28 is like, most people know that verse. You see it on like Hobby Lobby signs all over the place, right? For he works all things for good, right? You guys know that one? Well, it continues right after that. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And then it continues, and those whom he predestined, so those whom God has chosen, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And it's so sure, it's so certain that those whom he predestines, he calls. And those he calls, he justifies. And those who he justifies, he glorifies. It's so certain But Paul's already talking about it in the past tense. Paul's already talking about it like it's done. That's how certain it is that if Christ has begun a good work in you, it will be complete at his coming. And the way that that happens is perseverance. The way that we see that happen is called perseverance through sanctification. Big words, we talk about them a lot, but I really want to focus on the persevering tonight. Meaning when sin comes my way, when troubles and worries come my way, do I turn from them into Christ? Do I see him overcoming the sins in my life? Do I see him overcoming the struggles of the world that are intersecting with my life? Do I see him overcome my doubts? Have I seen times in my life that he has caused me and allowed me to persevere? Giving me confidence that I'm heading towards being glorified. Giving me confidence that that work is being completed in my life as I live it. I understand that every question here has, has like the opportunity both to like build you up and be like, yes, I see these things, and also has the ability to tear you down. 
kind of be like, I don't see these things at all, and I feel terrible, and I don't know what to do. I want to give you a very practical point of encouragement, and this is something not enough of us do. And half of you are going to roll my eyes when I say the word journal, right? But I'm going to say it. I want to encourage you, whatever it looks like, whether it's journaling, whether it's a couple bullet points in your phone, whether you grab a calendar and just every so often you write down when something comes into your life that you're experiencing, whether it be something of a personal sin struggle, whether it be something that's happening to you, whether it be something that's on your mind consistently, you go to the calendar or in your journal and you just write it down and you just write the date and you just write what you're experiencing and maybe you don't come back to it for a week or two or three or four, whatever it may be, but then you come back to it and you see how the Lord has worked through it, the way the Lord has sanctified you through it, the way that you no longer struggle with it or that you view it differently or actually you just, you rejoice in Christ more because that it's happened in your life. That, my friends, is perseverance. That is a tangible way to answer this question. And I guarantee you, if Christ is working in you, you will see it. That's a promise in Scripture. I'm not promising it to you. God is promising it to you. It's found all throughout Scripture. The perseverance of the saints. So if you want to know if you're partnering in the gospel, you can begin asking that question. Do I persevere? Do I see that gospel work in my life? We can certainly ask that. Here's another one you can ask. Do I share the workload? Do I share the workload? Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7 says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are, you are all partakers with me, and look at this, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So not only... Does Paul say that they are partakers of grace, meaning they've received the gospel and are, they're alongside Paul in that. But he also says that they are partakers in his imprisonment. What does that mean? They're not in prison right now. So how can they be partakers in his imprisonment? And he says that they're partakers in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That one makes more sense, right? That they're coming alongside him, defending and confirming the gospel and lives of those around him. So not only... Are they partakers because they believe, right? It says partakers of grace, like that. That means partaking in the gospel, the grace given to them by Jesus Christ. But what it means is they are partakers because they share the workload of doing the gospel work. It means that when Paul's imprisoned and he's experiencing both that joy, he calls it a joy, and that burden, that they are experiencing that burden alongside him. That they are experiencing that work, that hindrance, that thing alongside them. Because when one thing impacts the gospel in one place, it impacts us as well. Because we are all working for the gospel. We are all partakers of the gospel. And let me ask you, do you do that? Like, do you share in the workload of the gospel? Because the gospel requires work. Preaching the gospel, ministering to people in the name of Jesus, serving his bride and the church. Like all of these things, they take time. They take energy. They take effort. Like do you give the time? Do you give the energy? Do you give the effort to share in the workload of the gospel? Like do you, simply put, do you serve the church? And do you serve in church? Do you serve 
this ministry or a different ministry? Like, do you evangelize? Do you speak of the gospel and Christ to those around you? Do you serve others? These are all things the gospel calls us to do. This is the workload of the gospel, that we would do these things. Do you share in that? And do you authentically share one another's burdens? Like the way that the Philippians are sharing the burden of Paul's imprisonment. Or the way Paul tells us in Galatians to bear one another's burdens. Do you share the burdens of people like our missionaries that have been sent out? Our church has sent some to unreached people groups, to be trained. We've sent others locally here, partnered with for outreach as well. I want to ask you, do you actually share their burdens of praying to who they're ministering to? Do you share the workload of prayer required in order to depend on the Lord for his gospel effectiveness in the world? Maybe if you're in the place, do you share their burden financially? Do you come alongside them and share the burden of the cost, the financial cost of the gospel work they are doing and come along and support them that way? Whether it's a dollar a month, a hundred dollars a month, whatever. Or do you plan to, as you're, you know, you're in college, right? And you, you're like, you're planning on career. Like, is part of your plan with your career to use the money the Lord has given you for the glory of God? And to share in that? Or how about this? Do you share the work of getting the gospel on campus and reaching students? Do you help your professors that are believers? Your professors that are there day in and day out, year in and year out, do you help shoulder the burden of spreading the gospel on that campus? Or how about in your workplace, your other coworkers that are believers? If there are other coworkers that are believers, do you share the burden together to spread the news of Christ to those that you work with? And certainly, what about counsel? What about those who struggle and need it? need the counsel do you share in the workload of ministering to those that are in need spiritually maybe financially do you take that burden do you feel that burden do you desire to help in that burden now we can't be all things to all people in that way right like we can't possibly have the money to help with every single cause that comes here and claims the gospel and is of the gospel we can't possibly do every single one of those things But what I'm saying is, do you seek to do the things you're called to do in those? Do you seek for the the ways the Lord would call you to contribute? I'm going to stop on that right there because, guys, this is a a whole message unto itself, right? There's so many facets of what it means to have um, coming alongside one another to share the workload of the gospel. But whatever comes in mind, I pray that you find an answer. And I pray that you're asking these questions and that you are willing to share the workload of the gospel with other believers. So that's our first major question. Am I truly partnering in the gospel? Moving on to our second major question a little bit faster now. Let's see that second major question. It's am I truly growing in the gospel? It's not only am I truly partnering in the gospel, like am I in? Am I doing it? Am I partnered there? But also like, okay, am I growing in the gospel now? Do I see that growth of the gospel? I get this from verses 8 through 11, but let's start with 8 and 9. 8 and 9 says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment. So what we see here is Paul is talking about yearning with them for the, with the affection of Christ. And then he uses that as a connection and says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. You see the connection there between verse and eight? He yearns for them. He has affection for them. And then his prayer is that their love, right, their affection, their love would continue to abound more and more. But he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just give some vague description of love. He doesn't just say the word love and let them figure it out for themselves. We know how that is, right? Like the amount of meanings that the word love can have in our culture, I don't even need to go into them. You know that there's a difference between loving pizza and loving a child. At least I hope there's a difference in loving pizza and loving a child in your life. But, you know, you know that there is a difference, at least for many, of what that means. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't leave vagueness there. He gives some guardrails and definitions as to what he's talking about when he says love. When he says, I'm praying that your love abounds, he gives some descriptions of it. He says that his prayer is that their love would uh, be more and more, abound more and more with knowledge and with discernment. Those are the two buzzwords. Knowledge and discernment. And if this is Paul's desire for sincere believers in Christ, then it, it's certainly okay for us to desire this as sincere believers in Christ, right? So let's, let's get to those little questions to help you answer this more. Am I truly growing in the gospel? The first thing you can ask yourself to answer that question is, does my love increase as my knowledge increases? Does my love increase as my knowledge increases? So Paul gives two ways that he desires for their love to grow, but pay careful attention to the wording here in this passage. His prayer is that their love would abound with knowledge, Meaning that as knowledge abounds, love would abound, right? That they would abound together, that love and knowledge would abound together. So knowledge here, if you're wondering, means knowledge of who God is. Every time Paul uses the word knowledge, he's not just talking about facts. Every single time he mentions it here in the New Testament, he's talking about knowledge of God, who he is, what he's about, his word, his desires, his very nature. It's not just facts that Paul talks about when he talks about knowledge. And Paul believed and he preached that having just knowledge without love, it's not a thing. Not a good thing at all. And he says this in Corinthians. The first one, he talks about what it's like to just have knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8.1, if you just want to jot that down, go back to it later. 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge, in quotations, puffs up, but love builds up. Like Paul has a belief that having just knowledge leads to a big head, it leads to arrogance, it leads to pride. Even if that is knowledge of the things of God, without love though, it puffs up rather than builds up. If you don't believe me with what I'm talking about in this train of thought, you can follow me, 1 Corinthians 13 too. Most people know 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind, love is patient, right? He goes through what love is. In there, he also has something to say about knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. In that list, he says, I can have all knowledge, but if I do not have love, I have nothing. 
So what kind of love is this? I've talked about what knowledge is, right? That's what knowledge is. What kind of love is this? Well, Scripture declares that love and how we should love is twofold. The great commandment, you guys know it from Matthew, we are to love the Lord our God and love others as ourselves. The love we must have is a love for God and an unconditional love for others. So what this is saying is that you can be the greatest theologian of all time. You can walk people through the nuances of creationism. You can have a deeply studied and well-planned out covenant theology. You can be the best read, quickest, sharp-tongued Calvinist in the world. You can have the largest amount of knowledge in amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, whatever it might be. You can have all this knowledge and all this understanding of the things of God and what he says in his word. But as that increases, if your love for God and your love for others does not increase as well, it's useless worthless. If you're wanting to discern if you're truly growing in the gospel, then you need to discern if all the things you've learned since knowing Christ, all the messages you've sat under, all the times that you've learned about, about God, every Bible study you've sat in, you need to ask yourself if all the things that you've learned about God have caused you to love him more and have caused you to love others as well. Or has it just filled up your head with knowledge? Has it just filled your heart with pride? Because having knowledge without love is like having a kite without wings. Or like owning a surfboard in the middle of Kansas. Which really doesn't do anything. The saying goes not just for knowledge but for discernment, right? I told you that's the other buzzword tonight. And that question can be exactly the same, just fill in the different word. Does my love increase as my discernment increases? Does my love increase as my discernment increases? This is also from First 9, and it goes hand in hand. You should be thinking of the exact same principle here, right? Except instead of just thinking about knowledge, we're talking about discernment. And if you're wondering what discernment is, it means the ability to judge and act wisely. The, be, the ability to judge decisions and choose wisely, to act upon wisdom, to act upon the knowledge you have, to have wisdom. What this is saying is that your ability to discern good from evil, like that, as your ability to discern good from evil grows, so too should your love for God and others grow. As your ability to make the right decision over the wrong decision grows, so too should your love for God and others grow. To cut to it, having the wisdom to act in godly ways without love, it's just morality. And it's useless. It might make you feel good. It might make you look good. But at the end of the day, making a lot of morally good decisions apart from the love of God gets you nowhere. And if you want a great example, and I don't go here very often, but I did want to bring this up. This is what's been my heart. If you want a great example, you can look no further than politics. I'm not going to get into parties or anything. Don't worry. Honestly, I'm going to let you fill in these blanks. But I do want to say this. Politics is, the realm of politics is an amazing place to see this play out. Because you'll get some politicians that have a great love for people. 
an amazing love for people, but they lack discernment and wisdom to know what is truly good for those people. They lack discernment and wisdom to know what God would desire for those people or what honors God when it comes to how to work for their people. They have a lot of love and not much discernment. But on the flip side, there are a lot of politicians who would have great discernment in terms of things that that God might want or that God says. They would have great discernment as to what might actually be good for our nation based on what God says. And and they might even do actions that are God-honoring themselves, but yet they lack a sincere love for God. And they lack a sincere love for people. And so what we end up with on the other side is just a bunch of politicians trying to pass laws based on morality rather than godliness. And for many God-fearing Christians, the reason why it's so hard to vote, the reason why it's so hard for us to decide who to vote for is because so often it feels like we have to choose between loving people and having a love for people and making moral decisions. Not always, but that is the tension that we so often feel because politics, that whole realm, is a great way to see those things just completely to the extremes. And what we should desire as God-fearing partners in the gospel is to see both. We should desire to see a sincere love for God, a sincere love for others, and things that honor God and how we treat other people, and the wisdom and discernment to know right from wrong and good from bad. That's what we want to see. And what I'm asking you is that as you grow in your life with Christ, as you've learned to choose right over wrong, as you've learned what God would desire in your life and what he says you shouldn't have in your life, as you have grown in those things, has your love for Christ grown? Has your love for others grown? Or are you just becoming a really good moral person? Because you can make all the moral decisions in your life. You can vote all the right ways. You can do all the right things. And still find yourself at the end of the day with Jesus standing before you saying, depart from me. I never knew you. Because if you don't love God and love others, you're not partnering in the gospel. You haven't let that hit you hard enough. Those are the two last heavy ones. And the last two questions are super quick. Super easy to see. And I pray this is really what you're spending a lot of your time on this week. Found in verses 10 and 11. I'm just going to read verses 10 and 11 and give you the questions. I want you to write them down and give you a moment to think about them. So he talks about knowledge and all discernment. It says, so that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first question you see it there in verse 10. Am I motivated by Christ's return? We've talked a lot about this already. We've talked about the day of Christ we're all going to get to experience. And I want to ask you, if you're you're asking if you're truly growing in the gospel, all you need to do is ask, does my anticipation for Christ's return grow? Do I get more and more excited at the thought of meeting my Savior? Do I get more and more excited at the thought of him coming to make everything new and to make it complete? that's what Paul says. He said that you may approve what is excellent. That's part of discernment. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's praying that their motivation would 
is that they would do right things, they would do loving things, they would do discerning things, so that, that they would be motivated for the day of Christ's return. And the last question ending right here is, am I motivated for Christ's glory? I guess I worded it wrong. Am I motivated by Christ's return? Am I seeking Christ's glory? My bad. You see that in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And really what I'm getting at are the things that you're doing in your life. Like I just preached a whole 30-minute message to you on like all the things that you could be doing and all the things you could not be doing. I essentially just preached a morality message to you, right? Like you could walk away from this and be like, yeah, if I do these right things, I'm doing good things. Uh, You would have missed the point of my message, but you could walk away like that tonight. But hopefully this is the catch-all. And as you reflect and think upon Philippians this week, as you reflect and think upon this message, at the heart of it, only you can answer this question. But the question should be, am I seeking Christ's glory? Do I want to grow in discernment and love because I want him to be glorified? Do I want to share in the partnering work of the gospel because I want him to be glorified? That's what we should be asking. That's what I'm praying for you for this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for time together. Lord, a lot to set up in Philippians this week, a lot to go through. I thank you, Lord, for the grace to be able to preach and get through all those announcements. And and Lord, as we continue in our time together here, I pray that you would just allow our time to be effective. Lord, that as um, we have been in your word, my first and foremost prayer, Lord, is that your glory would be shown, Lord, that um, whatever I have to say, if it's from me, would fall short now, Lord, would not be remembered at all, but your glory would be seen, your word would be remembered, your word would have eternal impact, Father. And I pray that it would pierce our hearts. I pray that all the fumblings that I had, all the things that make me just human and error, Lord, would just dissipate in this moment, and that whatever is true of your word would be what rings true in us. Thank you for the the people that we have in this room tonight. I pray for the next hour of just being in community, Lord, that it wouldn't be just because it's fun. It wouldn't be just because it's flashy. It would be because we are just building community and relationship, and that that would further our discipleship with you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.